especially in the world we live in now, where we're each becoming increasingly accustomed to having whatever we want, whenever we want, the way we want it, this me-centric culture, the pathway to creating excellent results isn't consistency. It's the exact opposite of that. It's treating each individual customer like a unique person. And not only as a unique person, but to understand both their issue, whatever it is that they're contacting you about, but also the situation that they're in. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. Helping you create loyal customers and loyal employees all through the power of simplicity. This is the Simple Brand Podcast, now heard around the world, including Bangkok, Thailand. I'm your host, Matt Lyles, and this week I'm talking with Rick DeLisi. Rick's an author, a speaker, and a customer experience expert who helps companies achieve greater customer loyalty. And he's one of the co-authors of The Effortless Experience. You've read The Effortless Experience, right? All right, if not, stop right now and put that book on your to-do list. It's okay to hit pause and go do that right now. Because The Effortless Experience is considered one of the best customer experience books of all time. And I have to admit that much of the foundation and lessons that went into what I teach and preach came from that book. But today, Rick's back at it with his latest book, Digital Customer Service. Listen, The importance of crafting your customer experience centers around how you make your customer feel throughout every interaction. But in a digital-first world, you've got to make sure that you're investing in the right technology and the right technology processes to ensure that that happens. So delivering an outstanding customer experience today isn't just about the psychology, and it isn't just about the technology. It's about having the right marriage of psychology and technology baked into the experience. And Rick's lessons help you learn just how to do that so that you're always able to meet your customers where they are. So here it is. Here's my interview with Rick DeLisi. Hey, Rick. Welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime I have a chance to hang with one of the great, passionate leaders of the CX community, it's always going to be a great day. I don't know about great, but I am certainly (laughs) passionate about CX. And I got to tell you, you know, one of the things that has driven my passion over the past handful of years was your previous book, The Effortless Experience. That is so cool and humbling to hear. I mean, it was a couple of years ago that the book came out. It's a project that almost didn't happen, but we're so glad it did. It didn't seem to make very much noise in the first year or so, but amazingly, it still remains relevant, and there's new readers and new fans of the book every year, so that is so cool, and I'm glad you're among them. Yeah, well, and one thing that I think that is great about 
the concept is that I think it is timeless. Like one of the things that I preach is that simple never stops. Your customer expectations are always going to change and evolve over time. So you've got to keep making things simpler and simpler. So when it comes to making things effortless, I don't think there's ever that that one point where you can say, okay, here it is. We have met the end point of being completely effortless. Yeah, there's no such thing as a truly effortless experience. In fact, some people have called us out to say that that's not possible. The very fact that you had to contact a company at all requires some degree of effort. And of course, that's true. But what we've been learning is that effort is based largely on what a person's expectation was going into an interaction. And I think it's more than fair to say that for the majority of us and the majority of customer service interactions we have, the expectation going in is, this is going to be a giant pain. So any experience that doesn't rise to that level of being just so full of effort feels like a much better experience than the person expected. That should be the goal of every interaction. There you go. Yeah. And to me, maybe not 100%, but so much of it is all around the feelings that the customer has. Yeah. And so that, for me, was the biggest light bulb of all of the research. And What went into the book was several years worth of research and a variety of different studies that we had performed at the company called CEB, which was eventually bought and acquired by Gartner. And at first, the project was based on a simple issue where we were trying to determine what is the best survey question to ask people following a service interaction? So as I'm sure you know, the standard questions in the industry are the the CSAT, the customer satisfaction question, how satisfied were you with the experience? And then of course, Fred Reichheld's genius to develop the NPS system, that promoter score based on how likely are you to recommend us to a friend or colleague? Well, here's what we learned in the research. While of course, any company would want their customers to be satisfied, And of course, you'd want customers to be willing to recommend you. A person's answer to either of those two questions immediately following a service interaction turn out to not be very predictive of their future loyalty behaviors. I mean, what is the point of asking any of these interaction or post-transaction questions? What's the point of asking them? Not just to see how we're doing. That's extraordinarily company-centric, but at a more customer-centric level, what lingering impression have we left this person with that will alter the course of their future loyalty? And so in experimenting with lots of different word choices and correlating the way people answered questions and then comparing that to their future loyalty behaviors, what we learned is a person's answer to the question How much effort was required for you to get your issue resolved is a nearly perfect predictor of what that person's going to do in the future. That was an astounding discovery. We were very excited about it. The immediate advice and counsel that we were offering to companies was to work on things like process simplification and reducing the time to resolution, reducing the number of steps that are required for a person to get their issue resolved. We assumed, certainly I did, that effort is based on what customers have to do, what they have to do to get their issue resolved, how many things they have to do, how long it takes, how hard it is to do those things. But if you recall, we discovered about a year later that that is not at all how people assess effort. That's right. 
And that ultimately what we learned is that as people are answering this effort question, which again is almost like a truth serum, it's like a truth detector, being able to predict what a person's going to do in the future based on their answer to one question. What we learned is that the way people answer the effort question is based only one third on what they had to do, but two thirds on how the whole experience felt. And once we made that secondary discovery, man, that was the light bulb moment. That was the door that opened to a whole new science and art called experience engineering. And what we learned is that companies and skillful frontline service providers can do a great number of things to influence the way an experience feels, even if they can't change what the customer has to do. And so creating an effortless experience is very much about how an individual person feels while they're in the midst of a service interaction that they probably assumed would be a huge pain when they started dialing digits or going online. Yeah, and that's fascinating because a lot of times we don't want to put that much value into feelings. And a lot of times, like especially leadership will say, well, we can't really control how someone feels. We can only control what we can control. And those controls are either the actions that we take or how we engineer the steps and the processes versus engineering the feelings. Turns out that's not true at all. I can understand how companies that are so metrically oriented think if we can't measure it, if it isn't based on time or steps or to your brand simplicity, then there's very little else we can do. Well, we learned that words and attitude are even more important than processes and steps and physical effort. And in the Effortless book, we outlined a number of different strategies that companies can use to ensure that an experience feels like less effort. I'll give you one of them. There's several, but one of them is advocacy. So what does that mean exactly? In the surveys that we did with customers, we saw that companies that created a great low effort experience also scored very high, disproportionately high on this question. Did the person you were interacting with, did it feel to you like they were on your side or they were on the company's side? And the whole idea of advocacy is just about attitude adjustment. You know, a question that seems so simple when you first ask it, but is way more complex as you start to analyze it further is, what does this term mean? Customer service rep. Uh, it means representative, right? Well, of course right. it does. But who is that person representing? Most of the time they're representing the company. Sure. And that makes sense, right? I'm a paid employee of the company. I'm representing the company. But at low effort companies, the attitude is much more about representing the person that I'm interacting with. I'm on your side. Yes, I am a paid employee of the company, but what they're paying me for is to represent you through a process that might seem complicated or might seem frustrating to you. But I've helped hundreds of people through exactly the same situation, and I'm here to create the fastest and easiest pathway to getting you the resolution you want. And even just that kind of expression, that bit of attitude adjustment makes a massive difference, something like a 70 to 75% lift 
in how effortless an experience feels or a 75% drop in the amount of effort that was experienced by the customer, just from words and attitude. Right. Yeah, that is a significant lift just by incorporating and changing the words that you use. So yeah, rethink that title, customer service rep. Who are you there to represent? And a lot of times, you know, our goal, I've got a brand management background and brand strategy. And we always talk about wanting to create brand advocates from our customers. You want to find the most loyal customers, the biggest fans, and turn them into brand advocates. And simple, but not necessarily always easy. If you want to create brand advocates, then those customers need to feel like you're an advocate for them. Yeah. That sentiment of wanting our customers to be more like raving fans or trying to get our customers to advocate or to promote on our behalf, that seems like an extraordinarily company-centric point of view, doesn't it? It does. That's what we want. That's what we're trying to get. That's what we're trying to make people do. Well, one of the fundamental things that I've been learning about customer loyalty, having studied it now for 20 years, is that loyalty isn't really about the company. People are not loyal to companies or brands or products. Now, you could say, well, that's crazy because we can all think of companies and brands and products that we're personally loyal to. But ultimately, at a psychological level, what people who are loyal to a company are loyal to is to themselves. It's about how I feel about my decision to be your customer that drives my future behavior and future loyalty. So in this dynamic, the company is the object, but I am the subject. So instead of trying so hard to get people to say, wow, your company is great, or I can't wait to recommend you to friends or colleagues, what companies ought to be looking for is every opportunity to enable a person to reaffirm the wisdom of their own choice to be your customer in the first place. That's where real loyalty comes from. Gotcha. So, you know, being able to create an experience or deliver something to them that helps them to continuously validate, am I making the right decision by continuing to do business with this company? That is the definition of loyalty. That's it. Very cool. Well, so we've talked about the effortless experience. You've got a new book, Digital Customer Service. But before we dig into lessons from that, I want to touch on a concept that you introduced in the book, monster nouns. <laughs> <laughs> so what are monster nouns and why are they so troubling in business? Well, monster nouns are words or terms that virtually everybody uses but how each person defines that word or term and the meaning that they invoke when they suggest that term can be so variable from one company to another, from one division within a company to another, even one person to another, that we could be using the same words and thinking that we're communicating, but we might very often be talking over each other. And I'll tell you what one of the classic monster nouns is, is customer experience. What is it exactly? What does it mean? Not just what's the definition of it, but what's its import to the success of the business. Now, everybody agrees it's important and everybody would have their own definition of it. But those definitions tend to be so variable and, and the true meaning and value of customer experience is so variably interpretable 
that you could have a whole room full of people talking about the same term and meaning different things. So it becomes very hard to gain real traction. Right. And trying to understand, well, you may have somebody that thinks, yeah, I'm doing great at managing the customer experience because they're doing actions that focus on just one particular area or actions that relate to just their own viewpoint, their own definition of what it means when they're disregarding and ignoring all these other aspects. And again, you can't blame people in a corporate environment for taking pride in the specific thing that they've been charged with or how they're being measured. But since customer experience is the most horizontal consideration in the entire corporate world, each individual person or every individual department has to realize, you know, we're just one component of a much more complex dynamic. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And then making sure that overall dynamic, that there is a shared understanding and you've got to be able to have someone that's able to define that or share, you know, that overall definition for everybody to agree on and to adhere to. And because the terminology is so common within a company and across companies, it feels almost embarrassing to say, well, what exactly do you mean by customer experience? As if to say, I don't even know what the term means. Well, we each have our own impression of what it means. But how those impressions align and how ultimately they align to the way customers think and feel is the real key. And that's where most companies get it wrong. That's it. So what's the solution there? Well, the solution is to stop thinking about the totality of the customer experience because it's way too big. It's too much. There's too many tentacles to it. It's a mosaic made up of a thousand different fragments of glass. And while companies might think of it as painting one big composite picture, customers will react to each individual experience that they have or every element of an experience. There's no question that out of all of the experiences and touch points and interactions that a customer will have during their entire lifetime with any one company, the most important by far far and away the most important, are the individual interactions that they have with anybody in a frontline service role. That's where the rubber meets the road. Now, again, you could put an asterisk on that and say, if your product is a complete failure, or if what I've purchased from you, whether it's a product or service, doesn't in any way live up to what I expected, or if I just feel like I totally wasted my money, then customer experience doesn't even matter. But for companies that create a fine product or deliver generally good overall services to their customers, those acute moments where you're interacting with somebody from the company, those are going to be the experiences that will dictate your future loyalty. And again, that's one of the things that we learned in the effortless experience. The impression that a person is left with following a direct interaction is the most important element of the overall totality of this thing we call CX. Yeah, and it seems like there is less investment made into those people, into those frontline employees than in other areas that that are a part of the overall customer experience. Here's a message for every executive and every leader of every company, and that is the success of your overall service program comes down to two people. And you are neither of those people. 
one customer and one service rep having one interaction, that one interaction times however many interactions you have in a year, that's it. That is the totality of your success or failure with the customer experience, the most important element of CX. And so when that one person is not paid very well, is not managed very well, is not set up for success, then your business is bound to fail, or at least to have a leaky hole in the bottom of the bucket that you're going to have a hard time filling at the top of the bucket with new customers. One of the things that we also learned in our effortless research is that companies that are noted for creating excellent low effort experiences score disproportionately high when you ask employees, do you feel like you've been set up for success in your interactions with customers? So at an internal level, if you're going to ask just one question to your internal employees, that would be a great one to ask. Do you truly feel like you've been set up for success? That's it. And there are a lot of things that can go into the experience they deliver when they feel like they're set up for success. One of those is that it is more effortless for them to be able to solve <laughs> problems and solve challenges. On another level, it's the feeling that they have in their own job, the feeling that they have, whether it's you know a low, medium, or high feeling, how engaged they're going to be in their role. Yeah, so the one-third do, two-thirds feel formula seems equally applicable to employees as it does to customers. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Some brands, some leaders get this, but I don't think that enough do, is that the employee experience drives the customer experience. Yes. And trying to manage your employees to create a consistently excellent customer experience, which sounds great, probably plays well in the boardroom as you know one slide in a deck, it turns out that is exactly the wrong message. And here's why. When leaders say to employees, what we're striving for here at our company is a consistently excellent customer experience, invariably that gets translated into doing exactly the same things in the same way with every customer. The emphasis becomes consistency. But if you think about it, especially in the world we live in now, where we're each becoming increasingly accustomed to having whatever we want, whenever we want, the way we want it, this me-centric culture yeah. that we've become as we become more digital first and live on our screens and live in an Amazonian environment where you can get whatever you want. The pathway to creating excellent results isn't Consistency, it's the exact opposite of that. It's treating each individual customer like a unique person. And not only as a unique person, but to understand both their issue, whatever it is that they're contacting you about, but also the situation that they're in. So a situation is an issue wrapped in a context or a cocoon of the uh, situation that they're in. So there's an issue and there's a situation. I'll give you an example. The issue is my cable TV doesn't work. Okay, well, that's a right. fixable issue. But the situation is it's noon on a Sunday and I got five guys coming over to watch the game at one o'clock. Yeah. I can't not have my TV on. So 
the situation is often even more important than the issue. And when companies focus just on the issue and solving the problem, they're failing to recognize that this is a human being we're interacting with who has a whole cocoon of situations surrounding whatever it is they've contacted us about. Right. And it's not just that they're a human being. It's that they're an individual human being. And with that individuality comes all the nuances that go into their own specific situation. Right. I mean, think about consistent service. Now, again, that sounds great at the corporate level. But you or me as customers, we don't have any idea what kind of customer interactions that company is having with anybody else but us. I'm the only me here. I'm the only one whose situation matters to me. That sounds so self-centered. And in some ways, it sounds like a, a negative personality trait. But I think it's the reality for most of us, you know, especially when there's some kind of a problem or an issue. I don't really care about anybody else but me. And how you make me feel will be the determinant as to whether or not I choose to remain loyal to you, especially in a world where it's so easy to become a customer of some other company. Right. And where some other company is going to treat you more like the individual that you are than somebody else. Right. And again, I might not be aware of how the next company I choose to become a customer of will treat me, but I'll be sensitive to picking up that feeling the next time I interact with the next company. And if you can't handle it the way that makes me feel like I'm proud of my decision, I'll move on to yet another competitor. That's it. It's never been easier. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even just moving on to a competitor. It's just, you know what? Maybe I just don't even want this service or this product anymore in my life because of the way or because of the experience that I get, knowing that I'm going to be loyal to the feelings that I get from an experience. And so this company within this industry, with this service, they provide this experience to me. I'm now going to go do that instead. Yeah. I think we may have coined, tell me if you've ever heard of this before, insidious disloyalty. So obvious disloyalty is... I am now writing you to cancel my account or to withdraw my funds or to stop doing business or to send my product back for a full refund. Obvious disloyalty is bad, but it's at least understandable. And there perhaps be something a company could do to try to repair that situation before it becomes fatal. But insidious disloyalty is what happens when a person has a terrible experience with a company and then they just will never do anything else with that company ever again, even if they remain a customer for some period of time. It is the customer version of quiet quitting. Right. I'm not going to quit, but I'm never going to listen to another offer you ever come up with. I'm not going to engage in any way. I might not even necessarily say anything negative, but While you may think of me as a customer who has the potential to spend more or to become more loyal, that's never going to happen. I'll give you a classic example. I had a recent situation involving my homeowner's insurance. And I won't mention the name of the company, but it's a big national brand. You know their name. You know their logo. And I got a notice from them a couple of months ago saying, you're in grave risk of having your coverage canceled because your mortgage company hasn't made the premium on your account. 
Well, a couple things. First of all, I don't use my mortgage company. I know a lot of people do use their mortgage company and they escrow the amount of their homeowners and it gets baked into their monthly payment. Right. I pay my monthly, my yearly premium all at once. And I've done so for five or so years. So first of all, they should have known that. But the fact that they didn't know that and were threatening to take my coverage away. And by the way, there was, there was a big storm coming that day. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this would be the day a tree crashes into my house. Yeah. So I got online. And I was offered the opportunity to chat with the company. And fast forward 17 minutes of back and forth. And I think many of us know, you know, when you're in a chat session and you're not getting immediate responses, you get impatient. The chat agent started the conversation and then disappeared for a while. I'm typing in things like, hello, anybody uh -huh. home? Hello. After 17 minutes, the chat agent finally told me, Oh, yeah, we can't accept payments over chat. You're going to have to call a phone number. And then I did call that phone number. And the person I talked to was friendly and nice enough, but they had no idea who I was. They had no idea what I went through. And eventually I made my payment. And after it was all over, I thought, I got to find somebody else to work with. But you know what? I'd already just made my annual premium payment. I didn't feel like going through the whole hassle to discontinue it and find another homeowner's insurance and try to get a refund or a prorated refund. But I'll tell you what, Matt, when my premium comes up again next year, I'm almost certainly going to go with somebody else. Of course. So to that insurance company, they may look at me and say and think, wow, this guy pays his full premium every year on time. He's a great loyal customer. But I am an insidiously disloyal customer because not only will I never do any more business with them, I, I'm looking forward to the day where I can find somebody else. Yeah. And then when you do, I, I imagine you'll disappear somewhat quietly. Oh, yeah. And then they'll think, wait, we had a loyal customer. Where did he go? What happened? What the heck happened? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And they'll never know. Well, so one of the things we're talking a lot around customers and individuality, there's something that you wrote in the book. And, and I don't know if we can consider this a monster phrase now. We're talking about monster nouns earlier. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is considered a monster phrase, but I told you about this earlier. I had a significant epiphany when I read this in your book and you talk about meeting the customer where they are. And today, a lot of leaders think that they understand about meeting the customer where they are, but you've got a different take on that. Can you explain that? Yeah, we call it meeting your customers where they are times three. Now, the first and most obvious way to meet your customers where they are, as, as you've already alluded to, is in their channel of choice. If a customer wants to go online, if they want to email you, if they want to chat, if they want to text you, if they want to call you, you have to be prepared to meet them where they are. Now, by the way, in the world of marketing, that makes total sense. You know, we don't care what door you enter our store through as long as you come to our store. So we're happy to allow you or to enable you to use whatever door you want. And that makes total sense when it comes to marketing. It's not a terrible strategy for service either, but there's two other interpretations of meeting your customer where they are that make even more sense in today's digital-first on-screen world. Yeah. The second way is 
meeting the customer where they are within the journey that they already started on your website some number of minutes ago. So in the previous example of the insurance company, when I finally had to abandon my entire digital journey and start all over again by dialing 10 digits and going through an IVR system and waiting on hold, and then the person says, hi, hey, may I help you? Their assumption is that's the beginning of this interaction. Yeah. Well, that may be the way it seemed to that person, but not to me. It was not the beginning of anything. It was very much the middle of something. And so what companies have to do now is rethink their strategy for meeting customers to meet them where they are within the journey that they've already begun minutes before you had a chance to begin the interaction. So hi, how may I help you isn't the beginning of anything. So that's the second way. Companies need to meet people where they are within the overall roadmap of the interaction that that person started minutes ago. And then maybe at a more meta level, as we each become more digital first, as we all become more screen centric, as we all become more me centric, companies have to continue to evolve to meet customers where they are in terms of the evolution of their own lifestyle. You know, when you ask people, where do you live? They'll probably mention some town or some city. You're in Nashville. I'm in Virginia right. outside of DC. But yeah. the reality is, here's where we live. We we all live on this thing. We are all on this thing or some screen or other all day, every day. And what companies need to understand is every element of all the interactions that they have with their customers, the vast, vast majority of whom have evolved to this digital first lifestyle should take place where that interaction began on the customer's own screen. So meet me in my channel of choice, meet me where I am in my journey to resolve this one issue, and meet me where I am in my evolution of becoming a digital first person. And when companies get all three of those right, then you are creating an effortless experience that virtually guarantees that customer will remain loyal for months and years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And then with that third meta example as well, it's also being able to pay attention to where your customers' lives are heading and being able to either get in front of that or move along with them because you don't want to move so far ahead that they're uncomfortable with whatever level of technology you're offering. If they're not there yet, it's being able to kind of move along with them in that life journey. Yeah. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, 
you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. Here's a data point from Forrester. 84% of people who have some kind of an issue with a company they do business with turn first to that company's website or mobile app. Right. 84% of all interactions begin on a screen. And yet, when you think about it that way, how is it possible that in the U.S. alone, companies are still receiving over a billion customer service phone calls? Yeah. When you start to think about it that way, it makes no sense whatsoever. It doesn't make any more sense than thinking, hi, how may I help you, is the beginning of the interaction or the journey. It right. only appears that way to you. So whose brain are you thinking with, companies, your own or your customers? And if there's one sort of bumper sticker phrase that continues to resonate in my head, it's that if you really want to be customer-centric, and every company says they want to be or that they're trying to be or that they are obsessed with their customers and focused on their customers, you're never going to get there by thinking about your customers. That's, again, a fallacy. We have so much data about our customers. We know our customers so well. We spend a lot of time thinking about our customers. That's only a pathway to becoming more company-centric. If you really want to become more customer-centric, don't spend a lot of time thinking about your customers, but try to spend some more time thinking like your customers. There you go. To me, that's empathy. That's being able to empathize with your customer and to think like them and to understand what it feels like to be them. Why do you think, Matt, in your experience, that is so hard for companies? Even companies that preach a good game of customer centricity and customer passion and customer obsession. Why do you think it's so hard to think like your customers? You know, I think that goes back to one of the things we were talking about earlier is that a lot of times we are driven by metrics and we're right. driven by what we can measure. And that's really difficult to measure that. Yeah. I'm in charge of producing certain metric results for our company. That's what you're paying me to do. So, of course, most of my mind share and my creativity and my energy is going to be wrapped up in trying to get certain results to occur or get customers to do a certain thing or to economize in the cost of serving customers. Those are the goals right. that I've been charged with. And the more you get wrapped up in that, the farther and farther away you drift from the mindset of a customer who doesn't know anything about your priorities, doesn't know anything about your goals or your challenges or your opportunities, and frankly, doesn't care about any of those things. They don't care. And so when you think about and care about things that are completely different from what your customers are thinking and caring about, well, there's the mismatch. And that's why the CX programs at most companies only produce marginal results at best. Yeah. 
That's it. It's really understanding what they care about and thinking like them and knowing what it feels like to be them. Yeah. It's not that hard to do, but you have to break yourself out of your own mindset. Frankly, the mindset you thought you were being paid to adopt. Yeah, that's it. Well, so we've talked about customer experience a lot at that that higher level. And one specific area that your current book focuses on is in the customer service piece of the customer experience and focusing on a digital customer service. You talk about digital transformation and the need for brands to have a digital transformation. So what is needed for companies to instill that digital transformation in their customer service? Here's a great starting point. Start thinking about every incoming phone call that you're getting as either a missed opportunity or even a flat-out failure. Now, I'm using the term every. But again, since 84% of all customers start an interaction on their screen, the very fact that your company is still getting so many phone calls means, yes, There is a small percentage of customers, 16%, who just automatically dial 10 digits and call a phone number when they have an issue. But for the other 84%, so many of those journeys end up with a phone call that that customer did not want to have to make, and that frankly, that company did not want to have to take, and that's a lose-lose scenario. So in the book, we describe a platform that was first developed by the Glia company. And Dan McKelly, the co-author of the Digital Customer Service book, is the co-founder of Glia. It turns out that over the years that I was working on my effortless research, he was engaged in a number of similar projects that all had the same goal. How do we create an effortless experience for customers? But he was thinking about it much more based on technology. I've been focused on the psychology and the human understanding of what happens inside a person's mind and even subconscious when they're having a service interaction, he'd been focusing on how can we use technology to create a more effortless experience? And one of the things that the platform that Glia has developed, which we call DCS, Digital Customer Service, is based on the idea that a customer can contact a company through any channel they like, and I'm putting that word in italics in just a minute, we're gonna redefine even that term, But a customer can contact you any way they like, but the system automatically detects what is the best fit communications mode for this person who has this issue. If it's self-service, if their issue can easily be resolved in self-service, let's navigate them to the exact place where they can get whatever they need or do whatever they need to do. If it could be handled through a chat session, and by the way, not all issues can, like paying my insurance company, for example. But if it can easily be resolved in chat, then initiate a chat session. But for the most important issues, what we call moments of truth, situations in which a person is so, so much more likely to either want or greatly benefit from having a human interaction with another person, that interaction should happen right on the customer's own screen. And so In this DCS platform, in the strategy that we call digital customer service, anytime a customer feels the need to have a live human voice or video interaction, all they have to do is press a button on their screen and up pops an agent. So let's think about that dynamic for just a second. 
because that customer is already authenticated in the system. They've already logged in. And because we can tell from what we call their digital footprint, where they've been browsing on the website, what their most likely issue is, you really can meet the customer where they are in their journey. And so it's the difference between, hi, I'm Rick, how may I help you? Versus, hey, Mr. Lyles, great to talk to you. It looks like you're trying to apply for an auto loan. I could totally help you with that. And so think about it this way. It's the same exact two people. They're resolving the same exact issue, but it's a completely different experience. In this case, not only what customers have to do, and more importantly, what they don't have to do, but also how the whole thing feels. And so ultimately, what the GLIA team has developed is the effortless experience for the on-screen digital first world. That's it. And again, you like feelings and how the customer feels in that interaction plays so much into it. My boys and I, my family, we love board games. And and there's so many board games that we love to play, but there's some where you're moving your piece along the path. And like sometimes you'll, you'll be able to move ahead a couple of spaces. This time you'll be able to move ahead a few more spaces. What is frustrating is you've, you've gone through most of the board you're close to the end and then you have to pull some and you pull some random card that says, <laughs> oh, you have to go all the way back to square number one. I'm remembering shoots and ladders. Oh, my God, I got to go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what is happening millions of times a day with companies yeah. all across the U.S. and around the world. And again, the vast majority of companies don't even think of that as being an issue. That's right. Hey, you know, our people are great. We use soft skills. We have excellent frontline people. They're great at solving problems. They resolve issues very well. Well, they may resolve the issue, but until they've handled the situation and understood the journey that this one person has already been on, you'll never be able to create a truly effortless experience. That's right. Think about it this way also. In a service interaction, who's the subject and who's the object? Well, of course, I'm the subject. I'm the customer. But when you have to abandon a digital journey and start all over again on the phone and then wait in the call queue and wait for somebody to finally pick up the call, and then they treat you with a very robotic process by asking you all the questions that the website already asked and re-authenticating you and diagnosing your issue, don't you really feel much more like you're the object of that interaction. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But if you choose to have a live interaction with a human being and you press a button on your screen, you're inviting that person into your interaction. You remain the subject at all times. If you need live assistance, it's there on your screen in the middle of your journey. So it's much more about control or what we refer to in the book as agency, the innate human sense of wanting to be in control of our own situations. And agency is the fundamental psychological factor that will determine how a person feels about the digital interaction they're having with the companies they do business with. That's it. The more that you can give agency to a customer, the more that they're going to have higher positive feelings about the overall experience. Right. And if I may not to parse your words, but agency isn't something you give to somebody else. They already have it. You just don't want to take it away. 
Yeah, that makes sense. When it comes to digital customer service, when it comes to digital transformation, it sounds like it's not necessarily what too many brands are trying to approach right now is just going full on digital and trying to take away that human interaction. Yeah. In the book, we refer to three different strategies that all sound similar, but they're quite different. One of them is digital also. So digital also is we have a whole service operation that's based around a nucleus of telephony. You know, we've been exchange, we've been doing phone calls, communicating with our customers by phone for years. But now let's start to layer on top of that some additional digital features and functions like chat or SMS, that kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with digital also. It's better than not having digital features and functions. The one you're referring to is digital only. In that model, there's never a need to interact with a human being. The bots take care of everything. Everything is self-service. And that sounds great, too. And by the way, that works for some percentage of interactions, some percentage of issues. But as we referred to before, moments of truth, situations that are either complex or disproportionately important or have some emotional element to them, the most important issues customers will ever have with companies, the ones that will truly dictate their future loyalty, there's always going to be a need to still have live human conversations with people. But again, when that conversation occurs on my screen and in the context of my journey, it's a completely different experience. Yeah. Yeah. And then making sure, like we've like talked earlier, any sort of gap between what's happened previously, the digital experience, and then that live interaction, that that gap has been bridged. Yeah, that is the essence of seamlessness. And, you know, one of the things that we've been learning is that while many companies think about their channel strategy or channel management or They have different silos or different owners for each of their individual channels. That's not how customers think about their interactions with you. What matters to them is seamlessness. If anything different than what I've already started to do needs to occur, you need to enable that to happen in a way that I don't even notice, that it's so seamless that it doesn't feel like a channel switch or an abrupt transition or a complete stopping of one thing and starting of something else. Now, again, that strategy didn't exist even a couple of years ago. The technology wasn't available. That's why I was so excited to meet Dan McKelly, because here's the guy (laughs) who, with his team, have cracked the code for how to create truly effortless experiences in a totally seamless way in the digital first on-screen world that almost all of us live in right now. Yeah, and do it in a way that isn't solely reliant on just the technology, on just the digital experience. It's being able to add in and supplement uh, the human side as well. Very much so. You know, the argument that technology is here to take our jobs away or the robots are ruling the universe... There's all kinds of opportunities to use artificial intelligence or virtual assistants to make the experience easier and more seamless for customers. By the way, that's also true of reps, too. You know, there are bots that can help reps do all the mundane chores that are boring and repetitive and quotidian. If those are being done by the bots, 
that enables the human beings to do what humans do best, and that is connect with another person at a personal and emotional level. So technology isn't here to take your job away. It's to make your job easier and more satisfying and even more fun. That's right. Because if the bot, if technology has taken away all those mundane tasks, if I'm freed up to do, if I'm freed up to focus on what I do best, then I'm going to be more engaged in that role. I'm going to be more engaged in that interaction. I'm going to be able to deliver a much better customer service experience. Have you ever worked in a big restaurant kitchen? I have seen them. Okay. I've been behind the scenes. Yes. So think about the difference between an executive chef, a line chef, and a sous chef. Right. You know, your job as a line chef is to create great dishes, but that doesn't mean you should be the one cutting up the carrots and the onions. Right. You know, that's what the bots can do. The bots can take care of all the boring, routine, repetitive stuff so that you can focus on creating great dishes, dish after dish, customer after customer. The executive chef is the person who oversees all of it, but that person's job should be making sure that their line chefs are set up for success in the same way we're talking about frontline service agents. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. You know, making sure that they've got everything they need to be able to do their job well. Yeah, without a whole lot of unnecessary high effort. That's it. Well, so earlier we were talking about customer service and how things have been in the past, really how things are today with too many brands, and it being a lose-lose situation. So when it comes to your DCS model, if when brands instill that DCS model, what value do they get from that? Well, we described it, the more I started analyzing it, the more I understood it from the standpoint of four specific stakeholder groups, the more I started to come to the realization, this is a win-win, win-win. It's clearly better for customers. Four wins. Four wins. For customers, it's a much more effortless experience. I can resolve almost any issue I need right on my own screen, even if I need human assistance. Everything is set up for me to be able to succeed. And by the way, if I call an agent or a rep into my interaction, they could potentially even teach me how to do stuff that I can do on my own using co-browsing, where the agent and the customer are looking at the customer screen in real time, and the agent can say, see that little bar up on the top there and, and circle it? Go ahead, you press that and watch what happens. So being able to teach a person and help them become more digitally self-sufficient helps that customer feel smarter and better about themselves, so therefore, they're more loyal to the company. So that's a win for the customer. It's also a win for the company. Another win for the company is that everything we're describing is way more efficient than handling so many phone calls. Again, hey, Mr. Lyles, great to talk to you. Let me help you with that auto loan. We just saved two or three minutes of talk time. And talk nice. time is what costs the most in the service world. So anytime you're creating a better experience for customers and it's more economically efficient, that's a win for the company. For your frontline service people, it really changes the nature of the job. Instead of just being somebody who's being paid by the company to solve customers' problems, 
You're now being paid by the company to represent that person, to be able to connect with them, to share and collaborate with them in a way that teaches that customer how to be more confident, more self-sufficient, smarter and better about themselves. It makes the job less like being a service agent and much more like being a, a teacher or an inside expert. That makes the job more fun and more satisfying. So definitely better for frontline employees. And the fourth win is for leaders of a company, whether they're executives, top-level managers, even supervisors in the customer service environment. One of the primary responsibilities you're being charged with right now is to help your company evolve, you know, to become more digitally oriented as most of us already have, to evolve your company as quickly as your customers already have. By the way, that's a terrible position to be in, to realize, oh my God, our customers have evolved faster and differently than we as a company have. So part of your job as a leader is to help bridge that gap to help catch up. Well, everything that we're describing here is the way to truly transform the customer experience for the digital first on-screen world. So for customers, for the organization at large, for your frontline people, and for the leaders, there doesn't seem to be a, a give to get or a trade-off. You know, this is not robbing Peter to pay Paul. This right. is one strategy that companies can begin to adapt, and hundreds already have, where they're discovering everybody comes out ahead. And in all of my years of research, I've never seen any solution in which there's no compromise whatsoever. Everyone ends up the better. Yeah, that's winning all around. And that's why it's such a great news story. That's why it's a joy to talk about. This is not just some way to squeeze more pennies out of every dollar or even, yeah. you know, some way to get people to be advocates for your company. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when you can adapt one or adopt one strategy that enables everyone to feel like they were the winner, well, then you know you're doing the right thing. There you go. Well, Rick. One last question for you. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for digital customer service, what songs would you pick? Well, thank you for advising me in advance you were going to ask that question because I'm not <laughs> sure course. how I would have done Freeform. But I did put some thought into it, and thank you for asking. I am a, a classic rock fan, personally. Nice. And so I, I went in that direction. Here's the first one. The Eagles. Peaceful, easy feeling. Oh, That's really? how interactions with a company should feel. They've got your back. You're not putting in a whole lot of effort. They're here to represent you. And even though the problem itself may be annoying or even at some level, you know, threatening your situation at the moment, you should come away with a peaceful, easy feeling. Yeah. The next one, journey. Any way you want it, however way you want to contact us, we're happy to begin the interaction through whatever channel or form of communications you want. But if there's a better way to resolve the specific issue that you're having, you will be seamlessly transferred to that other methodology. The, uh, the transition will occur in a way that doesn't require any additional effort. So you can have it any way you want it. Nice. The third one, a one-hit wonder from the 70s, all right now. <laughs> Shouldn't you feel when an interaction is over, ah, everything has been taken care of. I can now go back to resuming the rest of my life. 
you know, you are now free to roam about the rest of your life. Ah, right. everything's taken care of. It's all right now. Another one hit wonder for you. Baby, come back. Because <laughs> it's all about loyalty, right? Right. Yeah. Any interaction you have with a company should make you feel like, man, I'm so glad I chose to do business with them compared to anybody else. I'm going to come back to them over and over again. And uh, the last one that I remember from JV football played in the locker room frequently, rare earth. I just want to celebrate. Wow. Yeah. Because everything we're talking about is really a story of joy. I mean, if you think about the amount of negative energy that's been created in the world based on people having crappy customer service experiences, yeah, it is now finally time for all of that to end. The frustration, the high effort experiences, the disloyalty that comes from these disconnected experiences that we've all had so many times with so many companies can now finally come to an end. So it really is a time to celebrate. And it's a time for everyone to be able to celebrate, like not just one person, you know, like in this whole equation, it wasn't just one person or one party that wins. It's everybody. Yeah. And again, if there was a trade-off, if it cost a lot more to create a better experience, well, that might be worth it. Or if companies could save a lot of money, but take a small hit to loyalty, that might be worth it. But the fact that you can do one thing that's not only way more economical, but promotes far greater long-term loyalty, then that at that level becomes a no-brainer. That's it. Well, Rick, I have learned a lot from your book. I've learned a lot talking with you today, but where can people go to learn more? Yeah, of course, like you go for everything else in your life right there to Amazon. <laughs> so our book is available on Amazon. It's also available on Barnes & Noble in all three formats, hard copy, ebook, and also in the Audible format with a uh, a really nice narrator who costs nothing. <laughs> and that would be me, so. There you go. Yeah, so any anyone who liked hearing you talk today, they can hear you talk more through the audio book. Of all the reviews of the audiobook of The Effortless Experience, which I also narrated, the one negative one I remember is, this guy's voice put me to sleep. And oh, I, I thought to myself, geez, I, I hope you weren't listening in the car. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Rick, thank you so much for being here today. I absolutely appreciate your lessons. Thank you, Matt. And for all you're doing for not just the CX community, but all of the companies and all of the customers that that community represents. Thank you so much for what you're doing and keep on fighting the good fight. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Rick DeLisi. And I hope that, like me, you have a newfound appreciation for the real definition of what it means to meet your customers where they are. And if you want to dig into more of Rick's lessons and insights, then go and get your copy of his book, Digital Customer Service. It'll help you learn how to have that right marriage between psychology and technology so that you can continually deliver an outstanding customer experience. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit the subscribe button because it's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Adrian Brady Chisana. 
Adrian's the founder and chief experience officer of CX Chronicles, where they provide customer experience and customer success managed services and help their clients evolve into a customer-focused mindset. And Adrian's the host of the CX Chronicles podcast, where he talks with customer-focused business leaders from all around the world to share their perception of Adrian's four CX pillars, team, tools, process, and feedback. Adrian and I dig deep into understanding his four pillars of CX, and we also talk about why happiness as a habit is the underlying driver behind an outstanding customer experience and an outstanding employee experience. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Adrian's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.